Welcome to the Just a Runner's podcast. We're here to talk about all things running and racing on the Youngstown area's first running podcast. Here's your host and Youngstown Marathon Ambassador, Bruce McIntosh and Pico. Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, another week in the books here. Uh, hopefully we're a week closer to getting some real races going. There is actually one here in the Youngstown area. Uh, not around here, I don't know if you want to tell you, but there's a heat wave 5K coming August 23rd at the Canfield Fairgrounds. Need more details, uh, secondsoultiming.com. Uh, you can get details there. Uh, just letting you know there is a race out there. Uh, I have not heard anything new about the Youngstown Marathon, whether it's still going, last I heard it's still going on. There was rumors I heard it may only be a half and a 5K. So I'm, I'm expecting some sort of adjustment. I'm not exactly sure what yet. Uh, being this is my first year as an ambassador for them. Hopefully they'll have me back next year, unless they just consider all the ambassadors from this year all bad luck or something. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do it again next year and really all the ambassadors really haven't uh, done a lot because uh, they all know the situation uh, with it up in the air like that oh I hear a storm coming it's a look at the radar look at the trees out there okay well I do want to get this out today uh, I am late it was a busy weekend and uh, I had grandkids over we went to the park uh our dog jumped in the frog pound uh the little pond right next to the lily pond and it's all full of muck and not a lot of water and some reason need we she took him my granddaughter took him out to the edge and he just dived in uh i no other explanation uh and i had to get him to the side i had to jump over get on the bankment pull get him out of it uh without him getting any worse than he was and it was uh luckily we had a uh, some sort of blanket in the back uh, or in the trunk of the car where we could wrap him in until we got him home after we walked around the lily pond and it's in mill creek park uh if anybody's not familiar with this area uh just take a look at what's going on there saw some turtles and stuff and that gave him some time to dry off i tried to because he was covered with the black gunk out of that one pond and couldn't get him to go into the cleaner water to get some of that off him, so got him home. The wife washed him. <laughs> uh, so that was my exciting weekend and spending some time with the uh, grandkids. So uh, probably would have had this out yesterday. Uh, did a little, just didn't have enough time. Finally got around getting it done today after work. So hope. I'm gonna try to get out here very shortly after I get this all uh, taken care of. And uh, back to races. And I am currently uh, signed up for three total races. That's including Youngstown Marathon. Uh, well, I'm doing the half there uh, as the ambassador. Uh, September 19th, I'm still signed up for the Centennial 5K. Uh, they're, they're having an in-live and a virtual option. Uh, at this point, they're still planning on doing that. I don't know. Um, I hope it doesn't go virtual because we signed up. The, uh, excuse me. Uh, 
mind mind uh, mind fartlek. Uh, we signed up for the live version. Uh, me, Greg, and Don. Uh, so we're planning on going to Canton for that. And they sent an email out today discussing some of the uh, things they're doing to uh, meet the requirements so they can stay uh, for the health department so they can actually hold this event uh, in person. I, I like the way they send you an email. It says, Dear In-Person Centennial 5K Runner with quotations around in-person. Uh, so maybe they know there's always a chance that it won't go off. But they said they've been in contact with uh, the City of Canton's uh, Health Department, uh, the Canton Police Department, and other they say other agencies. I don't know how she needed to talk to. Uh, fire department. Uh, and this is their plan right now. No in-person packet pickup before the race. They're going to mail you your bib and a social distancing bracelet. I actually don't know exactly what that is, but uh, maybe it just signifies which when you go off or something like that. Uh, they're they're going to do a staggered start starting at 8 a.m. Uh, they're going to send out runners in groups of 10 every three minutes. Uh, let's see here. The next thing. Uh, uh, after you finish, uh, you sp of the groups of 10, they're going to put them together based on the runners' uh, similar finish times. Uh, if runners live together, uh, runners of similar age. I think they're going to be sending out a survey to get some information about the runners. And they created a formula uh, to create everybody's... Is that right? Excuse me a minute. Oh, man. The wind's really picking up out there. All right, uh, where was that? Oh, the survey. They're gonna do a survey, get some information, and create everybody's personal uh, start time uh, based on uh, the time that you think you're gonna finish, and uh, among other things. And if two people are coming from the same house, it looks like they're gonna put them in the same group uh, to help with, uh, so it's not as hard to social distance uh, with other people. Maybe you should uh, take your whole family of 10 and then go, you know, Maybe they'll give you your own uh, starting time. Uh, that and then they're gonna send out that information. Uh, they do want you to wear a mask until two minutes before your starting time. Uh, I guess if you have a pocket, you can just throw it in the pocket afterwards unless you get a, like a, uh, we really don't wanna, you know, I, I wouldn't wanna be just throwing it around and uh, littering and especially if the whole point of having a mask is to prevent germs from being spread so if you're going to throw it out on the ground that's not helping with that at all and after you finish you're going to finish your table and they're going to give you a bag with your event shirt uh finish your metal drink snack and all that uh they are asking you to leave there as soon as possible so get your bag and keep moving i guess and they're going to just compile the results throughout the day and then it says they're going to post them at final results at 4 p.m. for uh, doing a virtual finisher celebration. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but uh, maybe they're going to just have like a big Zoom party. Everybody there can get in or something like that. Uh, so uh, they are still giving you until September 7th to make your final decision whether to run in person 
or switch to the to a virtual runner. They also do uh, the in-person's closed, but uh, oh, they do have the survey on here. Uh, they are asking. Uh, what was I saying? They do have a virtual option available all along. That hasn't closed yet. I don't believe the in-person option is closed. And if I mean, if you're worried, you have that option to go virtual. And so uh, we basically just loved the shirt they were giving away and decided to do the race. Uh, it's a black tech shirt with kind of a field thing on it. So that's uh, where we're at on that. Um, and I'm still doing the Akron uh, Marathon virtual. I did sign up and uh, that and yes, uh, yeah. Dawn, yes, I realize it's a $100 pair of uh, glasses, but there are some really nice looking gooder glasses and I get a shirt, I get glasses, I get a medal, so uh, it's worth it. Uh, and I get to support last week's, uh, yeah, last week's guest on here was Varel Wadden and uh, I gotta get a hold of him if he's listening, Tom. Uh, I do plan on having him back on here to talk about the Akron Running Project. That's what it's called. I, and I, I didn't take any notes about this part. Uh, so this gives me a chance to support him in the Akron uh, Marathon. And, uh, you know, I do want to see all these races coming back after the pandemic. I, I do fear uh, some of these uh, smaller races may not be able to take the financial hit uh, that a lot of companies and uh, races are going through right now. And there's a lot of charities out there that are going to be hurting because they usually get in for get stuff from races. So we need to find some way to help out a charity or two on here okay and uh, but that's my race calendar for the rest for the foreseeable future uh do have something going on health wise that i really haven't been talking about and it's one of the reasons uh i've been doing most of my running by heart rate and because i was having this uh problem with the uh, uh loot being short of breath, even though I wasn't going fat at all, and I'd see my heart rate go up real high. And I stopped wearing, well, I'm still wearing the same watch, but I got my chest rate strap, got a battery on, started wearing it. And my plan was to start heart rate training, because right now was a good time to do this. Uh, since there's no real, uh, there's not many uh, options for racing, I'm not, uh, probably won't this is giving me a couple months to train and get into it so i was kind of looking into doing heart rate training i was trying to get a uh, matt fitzgerald's 80 20 plan or uh into i was saying i've been kind of following the basic outline trying to stay in those lower zones for most of my runs uh but i seeing all these spikes and having shortness of breath at other times when i'm just walking and so I ended up going to a doctor and having a stress test. And I realized, for those that don't know, I, I'm probably older than I sound. Most people say I'm older than I look. Uh, in August, I'll be turning 55, double nickels. Uh, so I ended up having a stress test a few weeks back. 
been over a month now, I think. I'm trying to remember when I had it. But uh, I had the stress test. They said it all looked good, except there was a regular heartbeat. And I've been talking to the cardiologist and everything, and he's saying it sounded like something called a SVT, uh, supraventricular tachycardia. Uh, something with the heart, upper part of the heart, where it, uh, the blood won't go out like it's supposed to. It'll just go in a loop. Uh, something with the uh, electrical part of it. So, uh, um, what was I saying? So that's been going on for a while, probably longer than I realized. It it could have been going on for quite some time. Uh, been having this, and it seems like my running had over the past, I'd say, year, maybe not. I've actually felt like. Even though I've been running consistently and trying, uh, I kind of felt like I was going backwards or something. Even when I spent a couple months working with uh, Coach Sarah. But, so I found this out and I read it, I went for an echocardiogram, which was nothing. And, I mean, it's not nothing, but uh, it wasn't hard to go through. Still waiting on the results for that. Uh, that was Friday. This is Monday. Monday the 27th and I went as I went back in the same day uh, they set me up with a heart rate monitor it wasn't what I was expecting I was expecting like a strap around my chest and some wires or something it's just this little thing with a patch and goes on here and then they give you a cell phone to go with it to uh, and it keeps the signal goes to the cell phone and the cell phone sends the signal to the doctors or company so it's monitored so and then you just mail it all back in a box they give you and wow so i'm waiting to see the results for that and if it turns out to be what the doctor thinks it is which they'll be able to tell from the heart rate monitor or i'm not sure if they could tell that from the echo or not anyway uh I'm doing that for a week so uh, luckily I can still run and everything with it and I'm rambling on about this but uh, hopefully I uh, get this taken care of and it won't be too long of a recovery because I am still actually uh, trying to do the great virtual race across Tennessee uh, I'm still a few days behind the uh, oh what you call it the uh, the buzzard uh, for those that are in or know anything about the race across Tennessee you'll know what I'm talking about uh, but I'm a little behind pace uh, they project me to finish on the 9th of September you need to be done by uh, August 31st but I'm gaining on it from where I was a little bit at a time so I'm gonna keep trying to do that uh, been going out for more walks than uh, before anytime I'm doing any sort of uh, walking I uh, turn it into one of my uh, Tennessee walks so that's that and I uh, got a podcast meetup if you will a po podcast party I'm nearing my uh, 100th episode and I uh, contacted uh, Paladine uh, Brewery it's on Mahoney Avenue in Austintown oh man I forgot to look up the number I'll do that right now but uh, Friday August 21st I think I said six to eight. I'm gonna get more details out uh, on Facebook and wherever else I can. Uh, 
and I'll be sending invites, everything I can to everybody out there. 6520 Mahoning Avenue, Austintown, Ohio. That's the address. August 21st, 6 to 8. Uh, I'm going to try and record a live podcast at the brewery and see how that goes. Uh, whoever's there, we'll just come over. We'll talk a little bit about running, whatever, and whatever I can. If it works out, that'll be the 100th episode. If it doesn't, uh, well, you know how these things go. If it's not uh, usable, we'll we'll figure something else out real quick. Uh, but right now, that is my plan. And hopefully, it'll be fun, and hopefully, uh, we can get some people out for it. Uh, and if you haven't been on and you'd like to just stop by and say hello, or if, even if I've never met you, please do. Uh, I'd like to meet anybody out there. And if you don't want to be on, that's fine. Uh, it's just some people, uh, myself included, uh, don't want to. <laughs> Used to be Mike Shy. All right, now I have an interview with Ann Ardane. She, back in the 80s, she was a very dominant uh, female runner and actually the first. Uh, professional female runner uh, and originally from New Zealand even went to the Olympics for New Zealand and she well she now lives in uh, Indiana is that it uh, she says in there uh, I'm gonna try to get a, a few pictures of her and she has a few uh, if you get on YouTube and put her name in there's a couple of uh, movies that were made about her uh, career and I did get the chance to talk to her for a little bit on Skype and discuss her career as a and what's happening in professional running uh, and her growing up and she actually had uh, some uh, uh, problems with her feet as a child let her uh, discuss that and had her on and we were able to t luckily I was able to get a chance to talk with her and very uh, very nice lady uh, and if you look at her records back in the 80s uh, very uh, very fast very uh, was ahead of most of the fields back then uh, and turns out uh, she did have a connection locally she has run the Youngstown Peace Race uh, years ago she mentioned how Bill Rogers was here and all that uh, so and that was quite the race for bringing in some big time names back in the day. Uh, they still do pretty good. Uh, not, uh, you don't hear about the Bill Rogers and stuff of the field, but uh, they do uh, do get a lot of fast runners still going to the Peace Race, one of the biggest races in this area. And she also mentioned how she still has a great relationship with the Cleveland uh, Marathon. She had gone there and. I believe she's won the 10K there several times. I don't know if she said the marathon or not. But, uh, well, let me just get into that. I'm rambling on here a lot longer than I planned to. Okay, here we go. Well, welcome to the Just a Runner's podcast. Uh, I'm Bruce McIntosh. Okay, uh, introduce myself to welcome Ann Ardain. And I'd like to start off with a little warm-up question. How are, how are you doing today, Ann? Oh, I'm just doing fine. Um, you know, did a little bit of running and walking and uh, had the whole back of the yard 
all cleaned out today, so we've got a nice new yard to look at. So it's kind of been a productive day. Well, that's nice. It's been a hot one here, though. It had to be hot out there. Yeah. Where, whereabouts are you? You're in Ohio? I'm in Ohio, uh, Jumpstown area. I'm oh, Minnesota. I've been there. I ran the I ran the Youngstown 10K years ago with Bill Rogers. The Peace Race? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a, well. It's still going on. Really? This year. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll have a 10K and two miler. Hopefully, they have it in October. It's in October. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Yes. Bill Rogers. Yeah. I would be quite a memory there. I, I've met him a couple times. Uh, I gotta get a hold of him, but get him on here. Yes, uh, you do. One of my warm-up questions, I just like for fun, uh, in being from Youngstown area, uh, how do you like your pizza? Just for a little fun question. Um, I like New York style pizza. Thin, the, the thinner crust. And I'm not into the Chicago deep dish. I, li I like a kind of New York style pizza. I like that kind too. <laughs> Any particular toppings? Well, much to my husband's disgust, I like ham and pineapple. <laughs> so I always, I always get that to myself. So if I want to just have my own food, then I get a ha ham and pineapple. Um, but uh, a lot of the times uh, we got a new place here and we kind of get, we've, we've got one now that we both enjoy. So um, that's worked out pretty well. That's always a good thing. Um, I'm just going to go, hold on, I'm just going to go close the door because I've got a cat trying to get in. Okay. Okay, okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, you're originally from New Zealand? Yes. What was it like growing up there? And I understand you had problems with your feet when you were born? Mm-hmm. I was um, given up for adoption by a 17-year-old teen mom. And uh, when I started to walk, I was a baby. And when I started to walk, my parents noticed that I wouldn't use my feet correctly and just thought that it was just me being a kid and just going to adapt to do it my own way. Um, but it, it, I shuffled along on the back of my feet. I would not go up on the front part of my feet at all. And it turned out I had a bone deformity. And the doctors, when they looked at me, they just said they wanted to wait until I was a teenager to do any surgery because they wanted my bones to be strong enough so they could do a good job. And so through my young years, um, I went around barefoot as much as I could because I couldn't fit shoes, normal shoes onto those feet. And I shuffled along on the back of my heels, and I was very pigeon-toed. I turned my feet in and rolled onto the outside because the problem was was almost like very, very, very severe bunions, huge bone growth out the side of my um, where my big toe was, and the tendons didn't attach to my big toe. So that's why I would not go up onto the front part of my feet. And so when... New Zealand climate was pretty conducive to going barefoot most of the time. Um, and then in the, in the wintertime, my dad would um, get slippers, like I used to call them old lady slippers, 
and he would cut a hole in the side of them so that that protrusion stuck out so that I could have something warm on my feet in the wintertime. So I had the surgery done when I was 13 and went through all the rehab and and everything. And then once I got through that, um, my feet looked like everybody else's. And uh, I found that, to be honest, it was easier to run now than it was to walk. And so I just started running and joined a local running club in my hometown, which all the kids, track and field was huge in New Zealand back then in the 70s. And uh, I just joined a club to be like everybody else, and yeah. the rest is history. You really picked up on running, that's for sure. Uh, seems like that helped you. And when did you get a coach? Well, when I joined the local club, there was already a, a coach that they had. My first coach was Gordon Purry, and he come, he had immigrated for, um, from Great Britain. He was an Olympic medalist for Great Britain. England and uh, he um, immigrated out to New Zealand and had wanted to coach at this, co at this club and uh, so I just joined the whole group um, with him and so I was part of a, of, a, of a big group but I was only 14 years old and at that time girls um, could only run as far as a quarter mile that was as long as we were allowed to run and so um, you know, that's what I started doing. I joined the club. I ran the 100 metres, 200 metres and the quarter mile, and that was it. Um, but then I started running cross-country, and junior age groups could run a mile of cross-country. But the beauty of New Zealand was that junior junior kids could run against senior kids, uh, seniors. They could enter any race. There were no rules. Um, sports weren't administrated by the schools. Um it was a club system. So very quickly, I just determined that I wanted to go and run against the senior, the older ladies. And so that's, I, I improved really, really quickly by doing that because I was so much better than my my age group. Worked out. Because uh, you went on to, I believe you were going to go to the Olympics. Yes, I I. I um, qualified for the 1972 Olympics in Munich. I was only 16 years old, and they chose me in the team, but I would have been the first female track athlete that they would have taken. And they, because New Zealand doesn't field a full team um, because they can't afford it, so they're very selective as to whom they take um, in all, all sports. New Zealand's a huge sporting nation, so you had to really, really be good to be chosen. And they did choose me. Um, but with three weeks to go, they pulled me out because they said I was too young. And it was probably they had to put a, another athlete in. So I didn't get to go. But in hindsight, that's probably a good thing because of what happened in Munich and the tragedy of the Israeli athletes. The New Zealand team was uh, on the same floor in the Olympic Village as the Israeli athletes. And so many of those New Zealand team members saw what happened. So as a 16-year-old, that would have been yeah. pretty just pretty traumatic. Um, so it was a good thing I didn't go. So, yeah, I would have gone at 16 in the 1,500 metres. 72 was the first year they put the 1,500 metres into the Olympic Games for women. So, um, but I went in, uh, in 76, I went to the Montreal Olympic Games in the 800 1,500 metres. And, of course, you know, at that time, we women had no idea that we could ever run the longer distances. It was not in our mindset. 
I mean, cross country was two miles now. Um, I finished ninth in the World Cross Country Championships at the age of 17, and that was in the senior cross country, um, running two miles. But that was as far as it was. And so none of us of that era ever thought that we would be running the distances we ended up running. Yeah, there was. It's not like today where there was a lot of. Uh, well, there's females running lots of, <laughs> lot longer than that nowadays. Oh, I know. I mean, and the most successful endurance runners are women. Um, they're, they're running just amazingly. I mean, it's 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 just. I mean, it's completely changed. And and um, as I said, those of us in that, in that era, um, I class myself as fortunate that I got I got I got out of it and managed to come here when everything opened up. There were so many women around the time of the 1980 boycott of the Olympic Games that just disappeared from the sport, never to be seen again, um, because there wasn't anywhere to go. Uh, when you're did you come to the United States? Pardon? Uh, when did you come to the United States? 1981, right after the 80 boycott. I had heard that um, the United States was going to open up the distances for women and that road racing, a lot of my New Zealand male um, teammates had already come to the United States and they they had traveled with me in Europe for track meets and cross country and so forth. And they recommended that I come and try it because uh, they knew that I was going to be better at those other distances. And so they recommended I come here. So I just packed up and came to the United States in March of 1981. And I know you went to the 76 Olympics. Yes. I guess I, I that didn't go quite as well as planned. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I left. I left. I was um, um, I was New Zealand champion and record holder in the 800 and 1500 meters. And, you know, everybody thought that was um, that was just great. And um you know, I um, uh, went away with the whole country thinking that, you know, maybe because that was the era of John Walker, Dick Quacks and Rod Dixon. So between them, they had world records and um, Olympic medals. And so now they had New Zealand had this um, young female athlete that they thought was going to go and take on the world too. But, you know, 1976, first of all, I was only 20 years old. I was a full-time school teacher, and uh, so you know I went away. I didn't even get past the first rounds in either event, running my best times. And you know, but that was the era also of the the Eastern Bloc and all the cheating. Um, yeah. So I saw some female athletes there that de definitely did not like look like female athletes, and so um, so I had to come back and and you know, kind of think about what I was going to do. But um, it's uh, everybody just basically encouraged me to keep on going because I was only 20 years old and, and you know, you'll, you'll get better. And, and so I kept on going. Now, I had more success at that point across country. Um, when I went to the World Championships, I actually ended up finishing ninth in the World Championships three times. Um, 73, 75, and 77, 
and the New Zealand women's team always performed really well as well on the world stage. But because we were limited to the 800 and 1500 metres, it was tough. I mean, now we know. I mean, hindsight now is like we know so many of us were running the 800 and 1500 metres and we were running pretty well, but we weren't meant to be there. You know, we were, we were meant to be in the middle distances. We didn't know that yet. And then Moscow came around and I got um, was supposed to go to Moscow, but then there was the boycott. At that point, I actually quit the sport. I quit with my first coach and I quit um, and, and quit the sport because I just didn't see any future. It's like so far I've qualified for three Olympic Games and I only managed to go to one. And that was pretty dismal. So why should I keep going? I've got to earn a living. I've got to keep teaching. I've got to, I mean, there's no point in wasting all this time. And, uh, but it, I, people encouraged me to still keep on going. And that's when I joined my second coach. And I quite honestly say, if I had not joined John Davies, I wouldn't be speaking to you now. That's, that's one of those circumstances where you, you just go, that, that decision changed my life because it did. And there were two decisions that changed my life, but the first one was asking him to be my coach. The second, the second decision was coming here and making the stand to turn the sport professional in 1981. Yeah, I heard a little bit about uh, you were one of the first. Were you the first professional? First female, yes, because I crossed, I crossed the finish line first and I was the one that chose to take the money. And so um, the American athlete, the male athlete, was Greg Meyer. Um, and he, because of the um, your constitution and rights and everything, they weren't banned. The Americans weren't banned, but I wasn't an American, so I was the one given the lifetime ban for taking the money because they needed somebody to push the case through on. And so the Americans could all say, okay, we've, we've got our rights, you can't ban us. But I didn't have those rights. And so it was me that everything yeah. had to go through on. Um, but, you know, Nike, who had put up the prize money because they were the instigators of trying to get the sport to go professional because obviously they wanted to sell more shoes, um, they put up the money to hire all the lawyers and, and, and get me, you know, get me out of the mess. But it, it, it took um, 16 months uh, for me to get, for me to get reinstated back into competition. Um, the beauty of it was that um, the American road race directors ignored the ban and welcomed me to their events. So I still kept on um, competing here in the United States. Uh, the difference was uh, I got deported at the end of 1981 and got told to go back to New Zealand and not come back until I had a right visa to be allowed to earn money in sport. And so um, when I went back to New Zealand, the New Zealand Athletic Federation, um, the New Zealand Athletic Federation uh, would not let me run. So they were harder on me than what the American, the Americans were welcoming. Um, the International Federation banned me, the New Zealand Federation banned me, yeah. but the American, American race directors still let me run. You did quite successfully uh, running, from what I understand, <laughs> back in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I, um, the 1982, uh, I went completely unbeaten 
and every race I ran, I broke the course records. Beginning of the year, I broke the world record in the 5,000 metres, and towards the end of the year, I won the gold medal in the Commonwealth Games, 3,000 metres. And in between, I raced 14 United all the big road races here, Boulder, Boulder, Bloomsday, Cascade, um, uh, Bonnie, well, tough women's race, Peachtree. I won them all in 1982 and broke the course records in every single one. That was definitely your year. Yeah. Yeah, quite a year. So you were able to get uh, sponsored by Nike and uh, I think I heard Pepsi even. Yes, I I, um, I jokingly say I signed um, my first Nike contract on a table napkin and an ice cream store in Atlanta right before the Peachtree Road Race of 1981. It was just four days after the Cascade runoff in Portland, Oregon, which was the race that turned professional. Yeah. My first Nike contract was $400 a month. So... And all obviously free shoes and clothing, but it was $400 a month. And then through those years, um, my biggest contract was $40,000 base. And then um, I got extra money for course records, repeat wins, uh, medals, records. Um, so I did really well. I mean, I have no problem because I've done it. Interestingly enough, next year is the 40th anniversary of the Cascade runoff. The race doesn't exist anymore, but people are starting to realize that, that the story needs to be told because it's not told by our sport very well at all, if at all. So yeah. people have started to ask me um, about the 80s and, and what it did, and, and I have no problem saying that in, in the 1980s I could earn – not as a marathon runner because now all these races, none of all those races that I raced and had all that prize money, some of them don't exist anymore. Some of them don't have the prize money any, anymore. And those that do have the same amount of prize money as they did in the 80s. It hasn't gone up. I won Bloomsday seven times and got $7,500 every time. And first place at Bloomsday is still $7,500. So back in the 80s, with a shoe contract, with bonuses, with prize money, I could earn $150,000, $160,000 a year. That's not possible anymore. It's not possible. It doesn't exist. The 80s were it. The 80s were amazing. And not only me, but so many athletes could earn a decent living as a road racer in the United States, and that is not possible anymore. And that, to me, is shameful in terms of our sport. But that'll just get me on another whole tack there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on all that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was looking, uh, looked at some of the past on you, and you had run a, uh, like you said, 1982, you're undefeated, and but seems like, uh, from what I understood, you went like a stretch of 70, 112 races. You won 75 of them. Mm-hmm. So and I was, I was in the top three 90% of the time. Yep. I was um, very healthy and very consistent. It doesn't seem like the runners today run quite as many races. Maybe I'm looking more at the marathoners. 
Well, they're, they're not. But the thing is, that's just what I. The point I just made was they don't exist for them anymore. There's no reason for them yeah. on the elite side to go out and run all these races because there's no money. These poor kids still have to go have full-time jobs and be runners. All of us in the 80s were full-time runners. Those of us in the in the top, and there was easily 100 of us on the circuit, male and female, in the United States. Now it's all the Africans, and they're happy to get $1,500. Well, $1,500 isn't worth anything to an American athlete trying to survive here in the United States, but it's a lot of money for an African athlete. Um, so... You know, it's a ton of money for an African athlete. So we've lost all that. Good. Uh, you've mentioned uh, you mentioned how you were at the peace race in Youngstown back in the eighties, and I I've run that several times. Obviously, I I'm not in the prize money, but I don't. Yeah, you're right. The prize money is probably comparable to when it was back in the eighties, and you'll get some people from Kenyans, and you can recognize them there. Uh, they're showing up to try to get the prize money. Yep. But you know, you see them here; they're they're there to race and all. But yep, yeah, they're just trying to make a living, and 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 they can in terms of from where they come from. But but um, the other thing about the eighties also was the shoe companies. The sports was the sport was still growing. All the race directors yeah. wanting to to grow their races, and they were able to use all of us. The Frank Shorters, me, Joni, um, they would bring us in, and we would go out in the community and we do media. And if you saw all my scrapbooks and you saw the amount of media attention that all those road races got in the eighties, oh, sorry, front page. Front page of the of the front page of the New York Times sports section, front page of the Boston Globe, Cleveland um, Plain Dealer. You see my scrapbooks and see the amount of attention that those road racers got because these race directors wanted those events to grow for their community. So what it, what happened was that yeah, they started off with ten and twelve and fifteen thousand, and now many of them are twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, and sixty thousand participants. They don't need the elites anymore. They don't need the newspaper coverage anymore. They've got their thousands. They've got their participants. They've got their money. They don't need the elite athletes anymore to build their events. But for us in the 80s, it was fun. We were brought into town. We did the expos. We spoke in schools. We did the media. It was just great. It was professional. And now I feel all just gone back to amateur it's great for the race directors to have those 20 and 40,000 people but we do not have a sport of road racing it is not a sport of road racing it's just mass participation great for health great for everyone that does it but in terms of those of us in the 80s who were able to have careers professionally that's gone yes yeah, like uh, most of the professionals are uh, they're sponsored. And it's just marathon-related. It's, it's just the marathons. Yeah. That's so you, you'd have to become a marathoner. I wouldn't have. If I was coming from New Zealand now, you, you wouldn't bother running any other races. You would just train for two marathons a year. That would be it. Yeah. And, and hope you were good enough. <laughs> so that's it. 
You know, you got all these young kids coming out of college that probably have just as much talent as, as I did to be able to get out and run the 5Ks, the 10Ks, the 10 milers. They have nothing to do. They've got to go straight to the marathon if they want to try and have any career whatsoever. And that's sad. You know, that's just sad. And and so, you know, any time I have been doing, as I said, quite a lot recently, I think this this anniversary of Cascade coming up is sparking some interest because um, it's our sports history. But what people don't realize, if it wasn't for that small group of runners on that day in 1981, track and field would not have gone professional. The Olympics would not have gone professional. You would not have seen the dream team in the Olympic Games. And in my country, in my country of New Zealand, rugby went professional because the rugby players in New Zealand got mad at what are these skinny girl runners getting paid to run for when we don't get paid to play rugby? And we're the stars. We're the All Blacks, right? I mean, we're the greatest rugby team in the world, and we're amateur. And yet this group of women, they can go and be professional runners. So what people don't realize is that that day changed many sports and turned the Olympic professional. So, so we haven't done a good we haven't a good job as a sport to convey our history. I mean, that's a story that ESPN should be doing as one of their thirty for thirty programs or whatever. That story should be being told, not just because it's about me, because there are a lot of really good people involved in making it happen. It's a Nike story. I mean, Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers were right in there fighting for it. Um, the race directors that put it on, everybody took a gamble to do that. Yeah. And, and, and so the story really needs to be told somehow. I mean, I've got it, you know, up. On, on my two films, it's told from my point of view, um, but I just think the whole story needs to be told from all the players' point of view. Yeah, because it made a huge difference in the world of track and field, and obviously in other sports, once uh, you started having professionals, uh, so the athletes could actually make a real living. Mm-hmm. I remember watching some of the stuff about uh, all those documentaries about like, Steve Prefontaine and how he mm-hmm. was working as a bartender, but he, and he was actually at the time one of the best uh, roadrunners in America. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm I'm very grateful. I had my time, and as are all my all my friends that came through in the 80s, we all say exactly the same thing, that we had it. The 80s were the best, and we were all so fortunate, um, also very fortunate to uh, be part of it and to have that because, you know, we, we just do. I mean, as I said, you see my scrapbooks and photographs, if you could see this room I'm sitting in. I mean, it, it's um, – and you know, so it's it, it was great. I mean, I and the, you know, the older you get, the the more you appreciate that you had the eighties. And if it was now, it wouldn't be possible. No, a lot different. Yeah, remember the eighties. <laughs> yes. I will, uh, um, do you do uh, 
Like, do you do any running now? I just I just run for fitness. I don't, I haven't raced in oh 20, 25. I don't race. No, the moment I retired, I did a few little local ones, you know, um, or I'd go to a race that I'd been part of and 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 run in it. And but I haven't I have not competed. I I retired when I was thirty six, um, but when I turned forty, I came out of retirement because. Um, I had just become a United States citizen and so and turned a masters runner. So I thought it would be really cool to try and run some United States Masters Championships in road racing to see if I yeah. could become a United States champion as a new citizen. So I came out of retirement and I raced six times as a masters runner, three of which were in national championships, and I won three national championships as a United States Masters runner. And then I retired again. <laughs> so that's the last time I did anything seriously, was 1996. Long time ago. <laughs> Long time ago. But, yeah, I still, you know, I can still run and I balance it out. I take care. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make sure my feet last me the rest of my life and so far so good. So um, that's part of the reason why I, that's part of the reason why I got out of the seriousness because I didn't know how long my feet would take me in life and I wanted to make sure they took me a long way. And, I mean, fingers crossed, they're just fine. So oh, but I, was, I was very careful. And that's the reason why I didn't run many marathons because I just knew they were so bad for my feet. Um, I was just taking too big of a risk um, to, to really get into the marathons. So I, ma I made a good decision there. Were you still a high mileage runner? Now? No, back then. Oh, back. No, I wasn't. Um, 90 a week when I was training for a marathon, but when I was doing all the other road races, I'd say 60 to 70 miles a week. So, yeah. no, I wasn't. I'd do, a long, I'd do a long run of two hours on a Sunday, um, but that's where I was getting my endurance from. But most of the time I was on the track doing repetitions, keep getting my speed. So, um, yeah, I was more into uh, strength and speed, um, very much uh, hill repeats, long run over hills, big hills. Uh, so hill repeats and then the long run and then um, track workouts of speed. So the, the, those were my three main components of, of my training program. Yeah, you're definitely going after the speed there. Uh, yeah, I think that that it, um, it did. I mean, I think it's the um, you know so many athletes in New Zealand were um, uh, coached on the principles of the famous New Zealand coach Arthur Lydiard. and so I'm the third generation, or at that point was the third generation. Now you've got other generations following me. But that was his basics, was that you did the foundation of the mileage and you got the strength and you did the hills, and then you got on the track and you sprinted. And so that was how I was trained, not my, my, by my first coach, but my second coach had that philosophy. And I think that's what made so many New Zealand athletes so successful, um, the ones of that era, is that we all follow those principles. Yeah, I was right a good base of miles then you had in this uh, definitely would have worked for you 
Just out of curiosity, is there any certain races uh, that really stick out in your memory you'd like to share? Uh, other than well, I, I, um, as I said, I, I won all the big ones, but the two, um, the Bloomsday 12K in Spokane, Washington, I won that seven times and finished third twice. But in the Revco Cleveland events in Cleveland, Ohio, I won that one seven times and was second twice. Is so. The 10K, yes. And uh, so, you know, I have a great relationship with both those cities. Um, I won Boulder Boulder and Peachtree. Um, I won the big women's race in New York City. I was the only woman that ever beat Greta Whites in New York City in Central Park. Um, that was a big women's race in the, in the 1980s. And uh, I won the big women's race in Boston. That's still with those two events still exist. Um, so, you know, I went out and raced the big ones. Virginia 10 miler, I won six times. Um, so I've, I've raced all the big ones. I went after all the big ones. Um, so I raced them all. Yeah, you didn't back down from the. Uh, from what I understand, it sounds like you had all the races there. Uh, the Cleveland race is still going on, but it doesn't look well. You've even mentioned how some of those races uh, aren't as big of a deal as they used to be because of the prize money. I've been up to Cleveland uh, for a marathon there mm -hmm. five times. Yeah. I think that's actually where uh, I think you were there one year when I was there. I may have heard of you there. And that was back a ways. Um, I, I have been going back there quite a bit because the race director there has brought me back through the years um, to go out in the schools and, and so forth. So even though I last raced there in 1991, um, I've easily been back 15 times. Um, oh. Yeah, so I've been back uh, many, many times. Um, I'm really close friends with the race director and his family. So um, so I, I maintained a really long-term relationship with Cleveland, way past um, competition. Well, that has been one of my favorite races. I've run it six times, and I was supposed to run it last year, and it had to drop out at the last minute. Uh, so maybe I'll probably be up there again this year. Or next yeah. Year. Yeah, hopefully this crazy world gets back and together i don't know yeah i'm hoping some races go off uh, i guess this has uh with the covid and stuff or is it bad in your area was i mean with pretty much everything all races have been canceled this year so yeah we, we've got everything i mean we're a small city and we were doing really really well until a whole bunch of kids from here decided to go to florida and party and brought it back, and now we're under a mandated mask situation because our cases are booming. And we were doing fine. We were doing fine. We were only at 50 cases, and heck, now we're skyrocketing because. And so we've now been put under a mask mandate. And um, but yeah, whole bunch of kids. They they left town and came and brought it back to us. Yeah, where I'm at, uh, well, Youngstown, Mahoning County. And I work in the next county over in Trumbull County. You know, they're right on the border there. But uh, Mahoney never went into the red where we were mandatory masks. 
over there, they just came out of it. They were in it for a couple of weeks mm. with mandatory mask, and now they just dropped down to, I think they call it level orange now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, well, I mean, people here in this town are, are actually being pretty good. There's not a lot of not a lot of anger, you know, not not a lot of nastiness. But you know, we're small town Indiana, um, so you know, so far we we haven't kind of, as I said, got all the anger and the nastiness. So we'll 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 get through it, I think. So of course, New Zealand got through it and thrived. And New Zealand's wide open. They haven't got any cases. They're, everything's back to normal. They did they did, er, they did everything right. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I'm wondering what they did different. You know, they shut down. They shut down their borders and they put everybody in lockdown for four five weeks. And and that people were only allowed to go to a supermarket uh, for exercise. They were only allowed to exercise half a mile from their house. Nobody was allowed to drive unless they could prove they were going to a supermarket. So they went into serious lockdown and they also closed down the borders and would not let anybody into New Zealand unless they were New Zealand citizens. So all international flights were blocked. Um, easier thing for them to do because they're an island nation, um, but everybody was in it together. Never at any time were masks even mentioned. They didn't even have to deal with masks because they did the right thing. And now, now even if I wanted to go back to New Zealand now as a citizen, um, I would have to go under immediate 14-day quarantine in government-run hotels. So they're still being very, very strict um, on who comes into the country, um, but they are completely up and running with no issues whatsoever. It's like the rest of the world, they're down there and they're just having a big old time and the rest of us are <laughs> still screwed. <laughs> I know. Somehow where I work, we got deemed essential. And I, I actually was working throughout the whole thing so far. I've never. Yeah. My husband. Yeah, my husband was too. So, um, so yeah. So, for me, life didn't really change a great deal because I, um, I've – pretty much kind of retired from anything that I've been doing. And, and so um, I really just put myself back into professional athlete mode and created a routine for myself. You know, like you, that's what you have to do as a professional athlete because you can't go out, you can't go walking around a shopping mall, you can't go stay on a beach. You've got to keep your distance from people so you don't get sick. So I just put myself back in professional athlete mode where it's race, train, eat, sleep, race, train, eat, sleep. And and so it was really easy because you put yourself back in that mode, then it was pretty simple. So, you know, because as a professional athlete, you avoid people, you avoid shaking people's hands, you avoid giving them hugs um, or anything like that because you can't afford to get sick. Yeah, you don't. So, so I'd lived that kind of life. So it was pretty easy to go back to it. I, that's it. I should have thought of myself as a professional athlete. Uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't think of it because basically for a while there, I would go to work, come home, go out, go run in and eat, and that was it. I, the only place we would go would basically was a grocery store and yep. not too much else. There was nowhere open. Nope, and that's right. Now it's changed. Uh, yep. Well, uh, was there anything else you'd like to discuss on your? Uh, no, I I think that um, 
you know, any time now when you really look at what we're dealing with as a health issue in this nation, um, I've always said that the most cost-effective health care that we have in this country is walking and running. All you need is a pair of shoes. And right now, when you really look sadly at so many of the people that are succumbing to this virus, you look at them, they've got all the health issues of obesity, diabetes, hypertension. Yes, there certainly are other people that are getting it. That I've, I know some runners that have got it, but they're surviving it. But but you think That's about fun. you think about how if we could only get people out walking and running, that that their immune system, that, that they could have survived something like this. Um, because that's what it's all about. And so our sport is still the most cost-effective health care that we could have for ourselves. And the more we can promote that, it doesn't matter about time, pace, whatever. It's just, yeah, getting, yeah. it's just getting out there and putting your shoes on and going out for a walk, jog, or a run to build your immune system, to keep your weight down, and just to keep your, your body as healthy as you can so that when something like this comes along, I mean, that we can put up a good fight because the yeah. tragedy is the number of people we've lost and, and, and they've all had underlying majority. I'm not speaking, but the majority have had underlying health issues. Oh, I know. That's one thing I noticed. And the more you do, the stronger your immune system is, the better off you're going to be. Yes. Basically any illness. Yes. So I, I wish people would under, understand that more, and, and um, maybe that's the platform that our sport can have moving forward if we ever get back to normal, that that's the platform that should be our sport, is this is all you need to do. You don't need to buy a whole bunch of stuff. You don't need to go to the gym. You don't need all those memberships. You just need to put on a pair of shoes and go out your own front door. And, I've heard and a lot of people. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I've seen more people out in my neighborhood than I've ever seen walking and running and cycling. I know some of the people that were running and uh, before this started were complaining because the park was getting so crowded from all the people coming out walking and running. <laughs> <laughs> <These new people. laughs> well, that's a good thing. So that's that's the platform we all should have going forward is, is that, that it's it's our health. That's what we should use running and walking for. So, well, thank you very, thank you very much for having me on, and and okay, uh, you. you know, good luck, and and uh, you know, that's that's one positive thing about Facebook is that you can get in touch with people, and everybody on my Facebook feed is is all runners from all over the world. I don't mess with a whole bunch of other stuff. I just, it's all runners. and the different group and I think that's a one of the one of the positive sides of Facebook <laughs> yeah I agree because I, I got a lot of running friends I'm adding more and more people that are just runners and yeah and I hate if there's been a positive for me from the pandemic there's actually uh, I reached out to different people because I didn't even know how to do these interviews on Skype before the pandemic. Now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to do it while I'm here now. And being able to reach out to some people that I never thought would be on and all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, yeah, I got the time. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Well, it's been a pleasure. All right. Thank
You are so welcome. You you take care and stay healthy. You too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.